Welcome back to a brand episode of Two Please. I'm your host Sabin, and continuing on from the theme that we discussed last week, that is sequel month. Uh, we have a sequel to another favorite episode of ours, the Cult Classics episode. So join us as Rohit and I discuss our three separate films, and as we give our thoughts on each other's movies as well. I'm going to start babbling. Let's start the show. I am big. It's the picture that got small. Okay. All right. Now we're back. But before you begin, I think it's only right that and, we uh, define what a cult classic yeah. is, because you and I have like, yeah, we just uh, a yeah. quick refresh. Exactly, a quick refresh for those of you who may not have heard the previous episode or have forgotten what cult classics are. Generally, are not aware of what mm. cult classics are. Um, I'm going to go by the Wikipedia definition here, and uh, we're going to take a bit of leeway. I, I'm fairly certain between you and me, we're going to take a fair bit of leeway with that definition uh, to talk about movies that we want to. But uh, a cult classic, essentially, mm-hmm. as the name suggests, is a movie which has a dedicated yes. following. That's that's like the bare minimum definition. It ha- it should have a like very passionate. Uh, not necessary. It usually is a very small, dedicated, passionate uh, fan base. It may or may not be commercially slash critically unsuccessful. Not necessarily. Usually, cult classics tend to be movies which are either not recognized in their time uh, or have not done well at the box office and get recognition and love down the line. But uh, I know for a fact one of my movies. Although it is supposed to be a cult classic, was successful at the time of release and is very mm. critically acclaimed. So you know, they, these are good to have, but a must-have is a small and usually very dedicated mm. and passionate fan base. So I think that's the definition of cult classic that we are broadly yeah. going to adhere to. And uh, yeah, I think with that we have all the info we need. So let's get into our list. Let's, let's dig, dig into, into our, our list. Uh, okay, so. Yeah, so speaking of, of cult classics or cult films, right? There's, I guess there's only one place to start. And I'm really surprised I personally didn't bring this up in the first episode that we did. Because this is one of my favorite movies. And I watched it last night in preparation for this episode. And I've forgotten just how much I love the film. And uh, this is Tim Burton's 1994 uh, Ed Wood, starring Johnny Depp, um, Martin Lando, um, Sarah Jessica Parker and and a whole bevy of um, of actors, and it tells the story of Edward D. Wood Jr., who is considered to be the worst director of all time. Uh, since his death, a lot of his mm-hmm. films have achieved cult status, no more so than um, the sci-fi film Plan Nine from Outer Space, which still today has theatrical viewings across Northern America. At least I don't think it happens around the world, but definitely Northern America, to say the least. And people have really gravitated to um, it, its its story, and the story is is like a biopic. It's a it's a biopic told in black and white, and it tells the story of Ed Wood trying to break into Hollywood, uh, trying to finance his films as much as he can, like by hook or crook, using his his actor girlfriend as um, as the lead, 
and then dispelling of her, dispelling her when somebody with more money comes along. Not to mention, like, um, he has a friend in Martin Landers, Bella Lugosi. For those of you who don't know Bella Lugosi, Bella Lugosi mm. was the first actor to ever play Dracula. He is the iconic portrayal of Dracula on screen. Yes. On screen. He is one of, yeah. he's an, of Hungarian origin. I think he, he was part of the silent film times and like, yeah. Yes, and, yes, he was. And in fact, he had played Dracula mm-hmm. on stage earlier, which is why he kind of had the whole mannerism down pat and translated yeah, very and, well on screen. And it, I believe, I don't know if this is a uh, folk, uh, etymolo- not etymology, whatever. I don't know if this is uh, hmm. fake funda or not. I'm not sure. But I think he was from Hungarian royalty, not ro- royalty, hmm. not as in the king, but in the aristocracy. So uh, he literally oh. was a count, like, you know, playing Count Dracula. I remember trivia. that bit of uh, trivia reading read hmm. that somewhere. Anyway, I digress. I uh, For those of you who don't know, Dracula is my favorite hmm. novel. So, Abin, it's your fault. I don't know. No, no, by all means, continue. please interrupt me if uh, if you have anything to add. <laughs> That's kind of how we'd like. We'd like these things to go, right? No, no. Anyway. Um, yeah. So yeah, so there's uh, he Ed Ed makes his first movie Glenn or Glenda, and throughout the film it's hinted that he likes dressing up in women's clothes while not yeah. exactly um, catering, like well, not being attracted to the other sex. He's that's the one thing that the movie doesn't really shed a lot of light on. He just keeps saying, "No, I love women, but I just love dressing up in women's clothes." And then there's just the sheer amount of insane situations that he has to overcome. And I read this thing on his Wikipedia yesterday. And about how a certain director had commented saying he, if any other director, any successful director working today had faced half the hardships that Ed Wood faced while trying to make his movies, he would have quit a long time ago. Because this man really went through it, like to get mm-hmm. the kind of money, he made. his films weren't good, but half the time he didn't have the budget for it. He didn't have the actors for it. He was shooting 25, 25 scenes a night, sometimes wrapping up entire films in five days. And it was... And it never got better. Like if you, this, this, the film is a funny uh, take on his life, but his real life story is so tragic because I, I never read what happened to him post Plan 9 from Outer Space. I thought he'd have had some sort of relevance, but no, he just, it, it, it gets depressingly sad. But the movie is, like I mentioned, is, is anything but. Mm. Uh, Johnny Depp is great. I think this is 1994, right? Another great addition to the year of great movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, but Martin Lando as Bella Lugosi mm. probably amazing. A very contra- he won the Oscar that year I think for best supporting actor. A a very controversial win at the time Come because uh, he beat Samuel L. Jackson for Pulp Fiction. But Martin Lando's portrayal of Bella Lugosi is sometimes unbelievable. You're just like oh my god, this man is really encapsulated that air that Bella Lugosi had around him. And Lugosi again died a very poor guy. He died with about thousand dollars in real estate and about nineteen hundred dollars mm. in his pocket. And he was Universal Studios' first big star. So this is a real testament of the times of how of how far somebody that big could fall. Lando yeah. really captures that performance. And uh, at times you feel really empathetic to this character to, to uh to his character. And Sarah Jessica Parker plays that supporting girlfriend who kind of does everything that she possibly can, uh, in, even if it goes against her models until she finally cracks. Uh, then there is, I think Patricia Arquette plays his his wife that who stayed with him till till his death, and she's again she's got a very like one note role. But the best part of the film is is of this movie is Ed trying to make the movies that he wants us all to see, 
the passion that he had for the films and uh, when when this movie came out it didn't do too well but it has now picked up a big cult like a cult following since uh, i remember the first time i watched it everyone like was talking about citizen kane and about how awesome wells and they said the anti awesome mm-hmm. wells is edward and obviously you're curious about okay mm-hmm. you've seen you know who citizen what citizen kane is about who is this edward character and then they're like oh there's a whole biopic on him in case you don't want to go read up on him and i watched it and between the years 2009 to 2011 i must have seen that film at least about 15 20 times and if you mm-hmm. haven't seen it i i highly recommend that you go check it out because oh it, it's it's a laugh i mean it's it's also sad sometimes uh, as i've grown older the the hardships that you kind of miss uh, when you're young or rather you don't see when you're young are really come into the fore in this film and uh, it, mm-hmm. I, there were some really emotional moments in there as well so it's, it's a really nice film I haven't watched the movie in a while. Does it also have characters, the vamp- vampire, vampire, yeah, yeah, or yeah, vampire, the Lisa. lady, and and Frank and Boris Karloff? Somebody plays no, Boris not. Karloff. No, he's not. I mean, they mention the Karloff because oh, okay. uh, Bela Lugosi has has a rival oh, okay. in Karloff, and he, he and Lugosi Correct. famously That's turned right. down Frankenstein, which is why that which is the movie that made Karloff famous. We should definitely go check it out. Um, it's I think it's. streaming or you'll find it on like an like like one of those movie platforms that has everything um it starts with f i guess uh, and uh, yeah <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's how i watched it anyway so it it's a uh, really sweet really endearing and if you love the movies you'll definitely love this film go check it out you know speaking about edward perse i just feel he was a man out of time in the sense that he was camp before yes. camp was cool like Now think about it, right? Somebody like a Sam Raimi mm. who made Evil Dead. Think about it. If he, if that was made at the time, Edward was around, it probably would not have worked. Or even even the movies when they did come out. If you're not in the mindset to watch a campy mm. film, like I don't enjoy the Evil Dead movies. Right. Honestly, I I don't I don't like campy mm. movies. But <laughs> but. that sort of movie had a those sort of movies had an audience in the 70s 80s unfortunately maybe edward was just ahead of the curve and even in terms of even if you look outside of cinema right you have somebody like an andy warhol come in and modern art in fact this is even before andy warhol you had somebody like a mm. marcel duchamp who made an artwork out of mm. a urinal but you had and you had dadaism in the 20s so actually art sort of preceded cinema in in the form uh, in the process of finding art mm-hmm. in the bazaar in the form in the process of finding beauty yeah. in the bazaar and uh, or beauty in the i don't know in mm. the inelegant uh, so in that sense i feel uh, before that transition could be made from art to cinema uh, edward had mm. come in and gone so for me it just he just feels like a, a yeah, man like by, the, by the by the I don't know. I just had this thought yeah. while you were. By, by the seventies, he was exclusively writing pornographic novels and uh, using the money to just consume alcohol. He and his wife had both become alcoholics, and they bounced from place to place uh, and without paying rent. Ultimately, when they did, he ended up dying from it, and it was it was kind of oh, very tra- very tragic. tragic tale. But the movie really showcases that pluckiness he had in his younger years. where he went out of his way to make things happen like there was there's a scene in the film i think where they're filming they're, they're filming bride of the monster and bella lugosi has like a has has a, a climax scene with an octopus 
<laughs> they forget to like bring the octopus motor to turn it on so it they resort to bella lugosi having to like move the octopus's arms and legs as he's riding in the water with them and then he mixes that in with the, with the stock footage of an octopus uh that he got from like a studio that was about to throw it out so he was really creative like creatively he did what he could but it was just like he was a man like you mentioned like a man out of time so very tragic tale indeed i'm glad that posthumously he's got his <laughs> view yeah It sounds like a trashy George Miller <laughs> or something. Like I'll I'll figure something out on the spot. I'll figure a hack, but yeah. it's not going to be good. Like it is a hack, but it's not a good hack. Yeah. I mean, George Miller was a magician in terms mm. of figuring things on the spot. Anyway, uh, but yeah, that, that mm. that's on Ed Wood. Uh, even I I echo Abhin's sentiment. You guys should check it out if you haven't. If not for anything else, as a as a nice compassionate window into yeah. a very interesting life. Um, so that's Ed Wood. So coming from uh talking about the life of poverty and hardship uh my next movie is going to talk about the gross excesses mm. of capitalism and uh it's it is a not almost a satire it is a satire of of the gross excesses of capitalism um i'm talking about 2000s mm. american psycho uh starring christian bale um jared leto uh, chloe sevigny and uh, william chloe defoe sevigny. and a bunch of others mm. chloe sevigny william defoe and bunch of others directed by mary mm. harren if i if my memory serves me correctly based on a bret yeah. easton ellis book which was a 1991 book of the same name now it's difficult to really explain what the movie is about to anyone because it is not as much about the story it is about the themes of uh, the themes that the movie is talking about let me quickly give you a, a brief of what the plot so to speak is about uh christian bale plays pa- patrick bateman who is supposed to be this young rich yuppie up and coming stockbroker and he yeah, he's yeah, he a stockbroker right he's in the market hmm. wall street yeah and uh, he works in this brokerage firm and uh, like i said he's very well off he is I, mean, i don't know if metrosexual as a term existed at that point in 2000 but he would fit that definition well mm-hmm. takes care of himself is very vain about his appearance and is very conscious about the sort of image he's projecting outwards and uh, him and the other fellow stockbrokers in his firm have this sort of undercurrent of rivalry of one upmanship and so this is his his uh, you know he he is this by day he's a stockbroker by day but the more salacious aspect of his character comes out mm. after sundown which is uh, when we find out that at nights he he frequents uh, uh, sex workers he calls them home and you find out through the course of the movie that he is mentally deranged he is a serial killer yeah i think he kills mm. more than one person he is a serial killer and uh, at one point of time there is a very famous you know, scene of him feeding a cat into an atm i mean by the description mm. doesn't do it justice you have to see it to believe it but um, and towards the end of the movie again a bit of a spoiler alert here the viewer is left to question whether patrick bateman really has done all of the things that have happened over the course of the movie or whether mm. he's imagined it and william defoe plays a detective who is investigating these crimes and through the course of the movie the news sort of is tightening he is tightening the news around patrick bateman as he you know gathers evidence to try and convict him and hmm. free or whatever catch him so this is very briefly the plot of the movie but if if you were to watch the movie again this is my impression i've been 
feel free to jump in correct me if you feel differently but i don't see american psycho as a you know as a screenplay of a, of events happening there isn't a very coherent through line of a story there uh if even if you, even if i recall having watched american psycho it it's a collection of hmm. very memorable scenes and each of those memorable scenes have a certain message that they leave with you or you know are, are delivering the same broader message like for example there's obviously the intro mm. the very famous intro to you know patrick bateman's movie uh there's that scene then there's the whole reservation at porsche or whatever the huey lewis mm. and the news scene then there's the whole scene of everyone exchanging their visiting cards and patrick losing his shit because somebody has the same font and the paper color as his card then there's the whole scene that william dafoe and him have in the disco where dafoe is kind of letting him on to the fact that i i have a suspicion on you but i'm uh, you know it's like a bit of a cat and mouse game speaking of mm. cat obviously <laughs> the cat feeding the cat into the atm then there's the whole uh, scene with the what, what do you call that uh, thing you pull to country so chainsaw is for it yes the chainsaw where he drops the chainsaw mm. on the girl so see i mean, i can very vividly recall scenes from the movie but if you ask me to narrate uh what i remember of the story hmm. i'm a bit hazy there so great visual impact i'm not sure uh, how much of a story the movie has to tell but also i feel that is by design because even the source material which is the brett easton ells book is not very story driven it talks about the themes of how like i mentioned the excesses hmm. of wealth kind of deadens a person from their hmm. inner humanity and uh, you know it it all becomes a game of how, what am i projecting yeah. out into the world and as you can see throughout the movie patrick bateman's character is obsessed with mm-hmm. the way people see him he needs to be seen as somebody who is a uh, suave somebody who is different you know this whole need to be mm. different which once you grow up once you mature i mean i'm sure as teenagers everyone goes through this phase right like hey i, I am unique i want to be different or you know you want mm. to be an iconoclast or whatever all of that thing it feels like mentally patrick bateman in that sense has yeah. never grown up from out of his teens it's this whole idea of wanting to be unique different now that like today you and i were like i am just me i, I don't care mm. if i'm different or not you know it's just being comfortable in your own skin in that sense patrick bateman is a very infant infantile character he has mm. never reached that stage so uh, that's that's a, a very strong theme that comes out across the course of the movie and uh, and i feel that whole struggle that he has uh, i mean the pinnacle of that scene for me one is obviously you know the whole card exchange mm. that they do and the fact that you know these people the people or uh, the rich in that sense have so many things sort of taken care of that they are now having to find conflict mm. in the mundane you know like that card is same my image is you know is not unique enough because that guy has the same card the same font as a, as a third party viewer as a as somebody who has to deal with real shit in their life is just like fuck this guy dude like he doesn't have any real problem you know so i guess the book sort of tries to poke fun at it that's what brett easton ellis is trying to do that's it this is my personal opinion i find the movie i don't enjoy the movie i find i i tried to read part of the book and i have re- watched the movie i find it very infuriating because it's often the bitch and well off who are like hey it's bad to have money i'm just like fuck you dude you ask a poor guy he would never have mm. that opinion right 
and i actually in the process read up a little bit about brett easton ellis he grew up in a uh, suburb in mm-hmm. california uh, son of a property developer had a great upbringing you know uh, so i was like yeah dude sure i mean you've had a very comfortable life you're sitting on your high horse and now telling people hey it, it sucks mm-hmm. to be rich and you know being rich has these problems so uh, i don't know i mean I feel in that sense maybe that was his intention maybe that's why he wrote the book I don't know the book is a provocative book the movie is a provocative movie it it talks about it makes you question it makes you push against uh, how you view the people who are maybe more privileged than you or have lived a different life than you so it has layers to it uh but one may or may not exactly. want to and uh, the one thing that I noticed in particularly at the end of the film it talks about you know when where his inner the the inner patrick bateman is basically screaming because everything starts collapsing towards the end right and like spoiler mm-hmm. alert for what happens but they like talks about how people of a certain privilege will never be looked at in a certain way or never be accused of something because it's just who they yeah. are and that's what money and yeah. and privilege can buy you which is what the film kind of hints at and and kind of there's an ambiguous end to the film because you're not exactly sure like you mentioned what happened and like um because things escalate in, and yeah. he starts to unravel in the second half of the film it's it's an interesting take because the more you think about it, like this film has stayed the test of time like american psycho people like kids these days are watching it like when we turned 16 17 with, and, and we discovered the film people as early yeah. as that yeah. have been watching it it's got a second wave on uh, on red pill and uh, red pill tiktoks as like a stigma mentality like people like patrick bateman so there's a so uh. There is a reason to come back, back, but it's like the whole, and then there of course the memes of the morning routines of people like trying to do patterns. Yeah, yeah, those those have not uh, the those memes and the memes of him just walking down the corridor straight face. I think in the last couple of years, American psycho yeah, yeah, memes okay. have really taken off. I think that more than anything else has brought Culture it back into the guys. There we go. It's been a while since the psychiatrist made an appearance. <laughs> But yeah, I have nothing more to add on American Psycho uh, except the yeah. fact that there's an interesting bit of trivia that um, while shooting for this film, Christian Bale spoke entirely in his American accent, and the day they wrapped up shooting, he switched back into his English accent. We were very confused as to who, who this guy was. <laughs> in the wrap party, he began speaking oh in his like in native yeah. English accent, and they were like, "What? Aren't you American?" He was like, "No." There was a sequel <laughs> uh, made to this film that went direct to video, American Psycho Two. Yes. Which again, apparently, is a huge yeah. cult following as far as that I did not know about. Uh, starring Mila Kunis, so those of you, and I think Morgan Freeman is in there. I could be wrong. Uh, Mila Kunis and Morgan Freeman. Okay, I mean you got yeah, to pay the rent, man. When Mila Kunis was already making bank with that '70s show, so I don't know what. But yeah, uh, if you if you're interested in American Psycho 2, it's it's out there somewhere. Uh, go check it out. It'll make Mila Kunis very happy and make her some money in the process, I suppose. Okay, uh, let and also if you watch the movie and you uh, get mad at Brad Easton Ellis as well, let me know. We can go egg his house together. Yes, uh, call Rohit egg Brad Easton Ellis' house. <laughs> anyway, uh, moving on. Okay, I'm going to time jump because uh, I'm going to take a leaf out of your book and time jump to 2012. And this is a movie we've spoken about before. We've spoken about it on the Amir Khan podcast, but it's a movie I really like. Uh, and uh, I watched a bit of it, like. you know bring back to clear up the little things that i may have forgotten and uh, i really liked it it has it's our uh, it's, it's a noir film i think i'd like to say that it's it's a proper noir film and this is 2012's 
Talash. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, for those of you who haven't listened to the Amir Khan episode or haven't seen Talash, uh, Talash is a, is a story about a cop who's investing, investigating the death of a, a famous actor. And uh, it leads him down a very strange path where he starts to notice that things may not be the way they seem. And that's all I'll say because it's it's a very interesting film. It has a, a nice little twist at the end. Uh, a twist that I will remember this film for, the, for eternity because of who I saw it with and of how I ended up getting the twist before it was revealed and the, the groans, the collective groans uh, that, that happened around me. I was that, guy. that yeah. guy. I, I mean, I, it was it was opening night and like no one had seen the films. I wasn't really like had being uh, an idiot about it. I just spoke it out aloud stupidly and I have since matured. Um, but it's a really fun movie that keeps moving along. Rima Kakti is the is the director, and you sure you know her from her work with um, um, with Zoya Akhtar. With she also directed uh, uh, Honeymoon yeah Honeymoon Travels Private Limited, which is uh, and, and yes. I would also put that in a cult classic category. Underappreciated movie. I don't know cult classic, but definitely under underappreciated. Yeah. And, Very uh, nice movie. So Amir Khan plays, plays the lead cop who's had a, a personal tragedy in his life. Uh, so he and his wife are estranged and because of the personal tragedy he has insomnia. So he can't sleep. Oh, decision to leave probably takes a leaf out of Talash, you could possibly say. Because even the detective there, the head policeman there also has insomnia and can't sleep and is investing, investigating a death. Um, or is it just a trope in most noir films at this point? I'm not sure. Is it? Yeah. In, in, uh, detect self-loathing detective who can't sleep at night mm-hmm. is uh, Sam Spade was mm-hmm. one. It, it goes back to its uh, roots 40, of Noir okay. in the 40s. So in that way, it's mm-hmm. a callback to... Exactly. To and uh, there are some really nice moments in there. Nawaz Adin Siddiqui is in this film. He plays Tamur, I think. Uh, so he and like like this laborer who, uh, who I think was also a pimp. Tamur is sort of prescient. Yeah. Sounds. And uh, then... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my body blinds on gotcha. gossip is leaking. Anyway, so. <laughs> uh, Sorry, you were talking about Pim Sabin. <laughs> okay. Oh, that, that threw me off. Anyway, uh, so th- this is, I think it's about just over two hours and uh, it, it ticks along. And it's a very inter- very intriguing film that once you... Uh, the, from from the opening scene right up to the end, I don't think it got the kind of love that the other Amir Khan films got because this, I think, was this followed three dates and three dates we know was the cultural phenomenon that it was, and this did okay business because mm-hmm. it's the the premise of the film wasn't like a family entertainer; it was purely an Amir Khan project. Um, and uh, oh, I think he did Dobi Ghat also in the middle, right? So nobody, yeah, there was he he he'd gone straight from. I it's watched. I thought it was a really nice movie, but yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm saying it's yeah, not right. a mass movie. It's not, it's not exactly. for mass so consumption. Like, I mean, props where props is due. And uh, if you are interested in in Noah films, if you like a good whodunit, um, like a murder mystery kind of movie, this is it. This has all the elements of one. This has some very nice performances. Uh, Rani Mukherjee is very good in this film. Uh, Amir Khan is is again very very good as well. Karina Kapoor kind of carries this movie in more for most parts. She is like that. She's the figure that uh, everyone that the story goes through. So it's um, it, it's something you um, like, like you should. I I definitely appreciate anyway. 
so go check it out if you haven't it i think it's on netflix here and it's on netflix everywhere so if you're in for a good little uh, um to our um noah noah murder mystery this this is definitely it i haven't watched talash i i know it's a good movie it's just i haven't gotten around to watching it and i feel noah in india there there was a a brief period in the 70s i know where uh, there were a few good movies again i'm i'm not able to recall them off the top of my head uh, but there were a few good noir movies out and about but generally i don't think there has been a lot of noir that has taken or that has been set yeah. in india or would have been made in india because i feel bollywood is spectacle cinema and noir is understated noir is you know it it the payoff takes patience you need to stay with it you need to it's a different yes. energy that than to what bollywood generally has uh that's it there's of course what I, who i consider to be the master of noir in mm. bollywood which is shriram raghavan uh there's his filmography each one of them in fact one of his movies was supposed to be on my list i just wanted to put uh, another one so i had mm. to sort of take it out but shout out to ek hasina thi which i could have spoken about but anyways so there's shriram raghavan there's uh there's a, there's a, a recent movie that came out i think 2 3 years back hmm. called raat akeli hai which is again a great noir movie very you know of old style characters having their own mm-hmm. motivations and stuff so i feel from what my promotional material i've seen of talash it feels very much in the mold of these movies and um, i can understand why it did not do well because i could feel even from what trailer and all i saw hmm. it's a slow movie and i don't mean this in a bad sense it it's a movie that wants you to slow, wants to slowly yeah. draw you in wants you to slowly start caring about what happens to these characters because the the gut punch at the end is only do going to land you know the gut punch at the end or oh, you know i don't i don't but i uh, mm-hmm. i don't know the twist but that's what my mm-hmm. read was of the movie so i know i will enjoy it uh i i guess it's just attention spans have gone for a toss of late so i just haven't gotten around to you know sitting down and devoting the time that this movie needs but i, I think this is a film you you'd really enjoy uh because if i know your taste in films i yeah i yeah, like I, if i know exactly yeah, i i, I like you should definitely check this out cuz i like if you haven't seen it it's uh it's it's worth checking out and right out right up your alley in terms of the kind of films you like mm-hmm. okay that's me I on the rush oh. but yeah a great yeah, film what do you have yes at number 2 uh my next film is um, i guess the quintessential cult movie of this century mm. so far i would say i mean 21st century cult movies this, this is probably up there on people's lips for sure i'm talking about uh, the 2006 alfonso cuarón movie yeah. alfonso cuarón you know yeah called uh, children of men starring clive owen uh, julian moore uh, chiwitli jefor um Mm. bunch of others i mean the uh michael kane and a few other a few others as well so it's set in a near future dystopia uh, set in a near future dystopian uk which is uh, again very prescient in the sense that this i think it's the year is 2027 mm. in the film and uh, uk is completely anti immigration <laughs> and uh, all of this has all of these steps that uh, have come into being is precipitated by the development that people have stopped having kids population is declining and you know essentially as people die humanity is mm. eventually going to whatever it's it's mm. uh, nearing zero the it's trending towards 
you know so that's the world so in that sense it is an apocalypse of sorts and therefore people react in different ways uh the uk decides to be uh, decides to close its borders and uh, be completely anti immigration basically hmm. brexit of the future and uh, in that sort of world where you know people have lost hope uh, there's this clive owen plays this guy i don't know i think his title is vague he's in the government okay. he's a government official and uh, julian moore is his ex wife who leads a revolutionary group called the fishes and uh, they find somebody okay this i'm getting a very last of us deja vu here but they find somebody who is supposed to be yeah. a sort of savior and supposed to be a cure to the problem so again spoiler alert they hmm. find a pregnant girl and so nobody has been pregnant for hmm. the last 18 years so you know it's a big deal and um, obviously different parties have different motivations as to how they want to deal with this uh, deal with this eventuality or the situation and uh, julian more and tasks clive owen with getting her to safety there is this supposed almost noah's arkish ship that is waiting for them off a, 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 a mm. british city and uh, now there are concentration camps in this uk where immigrants who are trying to come into the uk are put this is off the coast of one of a concentration camps and uh so the rest of the journey is about uh, clive owen mm-hmm. accompanying this girl and uh, so i mean that's the story the story is intriguing enough but what i really really want to get into are the themes of this film which are so uh, rich and so layered uh, so obviously so f- as the movie starts you realize that what quaron is strongly trying to imply is and this is i think the core message of the movie is that children are hmm. symbols of hope and in a world where people have not had children for almost two decades what really hits you in the face within the first 5 minutes of the movie itself is a world which is completely devoid of hope and in the vacuum of that uh, of that hope not being there hatred and uh, you know divisiveness mm-hmm. have set in which is why you have people uh, distrusting of each other angry with each other you know the whole tribalism has sort of come in uh the and in the movie you see this this theme playing out where uh there's a lot of anti immigrant hatred uh and a lot of factionism like the fishes like i mentioned are uh essentially they want the same thing mm-hmm. as the government which is that maybe there is there is a, a a cure or some hope in the form of this girl who is now pregnant but you know there's a cynicism in how these parties yeah. want to view it they they look at her as a a political tool they look at her as a way to further their own aims the larger picture of hey there maybe there's something miraculous happening here is sort of lost in all of this so there's that theme you know hope which i think is the overarching theme of the movie is is uh, mm. what hit me first uh, obviously then there is the whole uh, uh jesus and virgin mm-hmm. mary al- allegory uh where if i again i don't recall this correctly but when they ask that girl i forgot her name when they ask her uh, do you know who the father is she says i know i i uh, did sleep with someone but i don't remember it so i don't know who the father is so they're not entirely doing an immaculate conception because mm-hmm. that would be absurd but there is that whole you know we don't know who the father is like in the case of jesus it could be yeah. joseph it could be god whatever you know those sort of implications and there is a savior who is going to be born so there's that clear mm-hmm. allegory with jesus as that 
it's a very realistic depiction of hmm. dystopia you know where to take a counter example there's the 2009 yes. movie called the road based on the hmm. cormac mccarthy book that is set in hmm. a nuclear winter that is a very starkly that is like a dystopia hmm. with a capital d right like nothing's growing it's ash everywhere it's permanent snow that's like a stark it's a completely other end of it's the other end of the hmm. dystopian spectrum so to speak this is uncomfortably close yeah. to our current reality and sitting in 2023 the movie setting is 4 years from now and uh, while i don't see all of the elements of what happens in the movie play out a lot of things have mm. brexit has happened fertility rates in developing countries are mm. steeply declining you know for a fact in russia and japan it is an uh, it is a national mm. crisis at this point people are becoming exclusionary tribal it's it's uh, a lot of the things which the movie set out to uh, you know say or talk about mm. in 2006 you see coming true almost 20 years later so in that sense it's almost like the movie is mm. talking about the future again like i mentioned at the start great the mm. good to great story but the, what really stays you are the things that aren't being said on screen but are being shown or are being implied so there's a lot of subtext and a lot of undercurrent mm-hmm. to this movie which is why i feel it requires a number of uh, it requires multiple viewings and i feel with each viewing you tend to appreciate it more i've seen it i think mm-hmm. thrice so far and literally every time i'm like wow mm-hmm. i didn't catch this i didn't catch that the reason the movie is really great for multiple viewings is the cinematography which is oh my god so i think uh, while inari 2 is known for his pseudo hmm. single take bird man it's it's kuaron who really uh, pioneered i would feel long takes uh, he's a mexican director who pioneered probably the hmm. long takes in his films children of men is i think it has easily 7 to 8 uh, very long single takes which are miraculous i mean there is one at the fishes farmhouse where clive owen and the girl have to escape which is like a, i think a good 7 to 8 minutes just single take and it covers so much so much is happening and it is so immersive i feel it's not gimmicky you know you're watching you're immersed in the story but when the sing that take ends i remember i uh, the last time i watched it when that take ends i was like fuck that was a single take holy shit there's that then there's one towards the end in in this apartment complex that's getting bombed it's just the movie is visually outstanding mm. i would say cinematography wise it is like top 10 percentile of movies ever made purely because of how it uses single takes to draw you into the story very 1917esque mm. in that sense i feel birdman mm. very gimmicky in hindsight i don't think mm. the movie ages well it the movie is about technical it's, it's i don't know it's an experiment or whatever in in film watching but 1917 and these are movies which use single takes to draw you in to make you part of the uh, of what's happening part of the scene, scenery it is i love this i haven't movie. seen it <laughs> damn it i haven't seen it i don't know why because it's never oh man i think it's it's finally on netflix i should watch it but i i haven't seen it, it is, i've it i've seen rushes of it like i know what the story is about because it's it is one of those films like you mentioned that has attained the cult status um, for the last 15 20 years uh, i remember clive and i remember the, the last of us parallels because when last of us released in 2013 as a game on the on the playstation 3 instant comparisons were obviously made like references were made to uh, the road and children of men mm-hmm. neil druckman the director himself point out to say 
yeah we picked a lot of story from uh, movies like this and it really carries the uh, what do you call the tone more so children of men than the road has an influence on on the last verse i would say absolutely yeah. the parallels are from the world well, anyway because the world obviously you have uh, a fungal the- infection but it's not like like you said a uh, new a nuclear winter kind of a, a kind of a game so mm. i fully understand like i've seen children of men's influence and uh, a single messianic yes. figure who has to you know everyone every, all hopes are pinned up mm. on that one figure so that's also a very clear parallel i should But, watch uh, it i know i yeah. should <laughs> i you should you should uh, sorry again a, a big spoiler alert here but uh, i want to talk about this point uh, the, uh, the one other thing i really like about the movie is uh, i don't know if it was subversion they planned or it, that's just how it was written in the source material as well because it's based on a book uh, they made the messianic mm. figure a girl so there is a There's, so throughout the movie, everyone assumes it's a guy. Nice. That the kid that is going to be born mm. is going to be a guy because you know internalized course, yeah. sexism or whatever. Because all major historical figures have been a guy. There is a scene where there's this apartment building that they're in. They're stuck in the army is outside bombing it. Chivitli Jeffers character is there along with Clive Owen's character. He's holding the kid, and uh, Chivitli Jeffers character says, uh, "I think his name is Luke." So Luke says. uh i need that child uh to uh rally the fishes he has to lead the world into a new future he keeps saying he has to do this he has to do that clive owen just looks at him mm-hmm. says, it's a girl like what a lovely moment dude what a lovely moment certainly the fish just looks at him and there's a tear rolling down his eye because he realizes like the futility and the 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 error of his line of thought is this there's just so much mm-hmm. happening in that scene Uh, and right after that, there's a scene which follows where Clive Owen comes out with the baby, and all of these boring parties who are fighting with each other just stop because they have literally not seen a mm. baby in 18 years. This is like a miracle happening in front of them. Everyone puts their like fighting pauses for a minute, and it's like you know Moses yeah. parting the sea. Clive Owen walks through the crowd. Everyone just makes way. He leaves the building with the kid and the uh, and the mother safe and sound. and then immediately everyone mm-hmm. starts fighting again it's like it's an amazing I, scene the movie has is so much i mean and i know for a fact that multiple lists have named it one of the greatest movies of yeah. the century or the decade or what i don't know whatever in hindsight it's got outstanding i critical. should definitely get around to watching it maybe this weekend this weekend by the time this episode comes out i will have watched children of men and so if i and if i have like a lot of thoughts yes. i'll record a mini episode to like that really are my thoughts <laughs> um, but yeah uh, that was yes. your second film and uh, before we go into my third film let's take a small break and then we'll be back okay we're back for the final two yeah. um and my final film of, of the three that we've discussed so far is in 97 film that again we spoke about very briefly in uh, around the world in 70 movies a movie uh, of an episode where we discussed about 70 films from across different countries are all packed into an hour and a half special and this is in a direct to anime video um, video movie that's called perfect blue and it's based on uh, uh, on on a novel by yoshikazu takauchi and directed by satoshi kon who is one is one of the pioneers in in anime cinema like his influence in western hall in western films is 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 very prominent like you would say imagery from perfect blue has made its way to rocking for a dream and black swan paprika which was another film that he did 
has a direct influence on inception as much as christopher nolan refuses to bring it up uh in in his interviews like paprika is has the seeds from which inception was was incepted and uh, but let's coming but let's uh, mm. let's come back to uh, to perfect blue now perfect blue the tells the story of uh, a pop star a pop idol named meema who has is quitting her um, her little girl band and uh, decided to pursue a career as a serious actress now this is much to the dismay of her fans her manager uh, her agent and so on but she feels like this is the next step for her to make and uh, there's a stalker who who proceeds to like stalk a stalker around the city and uh, soon the lines between reality and fiction begin to blur the book is very straightforward the book is story of pop star idol and stalker and things go awry um and but when satoshi kon went to went to the author uh, and the the author said as long as you keep the pop star idol in angle in there you keep both of those characters in there do what you want with the film perfect blue is single handedly one of the most intense and yet one of the most creepiest movies you'll ever see and it's an anime because at points you really start to question what's happening because in just how much mima gives herself away in order to achieve success there's a whole sequence where she uh, plays a, a girl that is getting um, sexually molested in a in a club and they keep reshooting the scene over and over again and it's it's very hard to watch especially when her agent and her manager are in, are in the room and you can kind of see her losing her humanity a little bit bit by bit in a bit to chase mainstream success and she really has to wade through a a figurative river of shit to get to what she wants and meanwhile she also has to deal with uh, her stalker who's basically killing everyone around her and uh, sending her very threatening messages on her chat room which is called Mima's room the ending of the film i'd seen it what years ago like in 20 2010 2011 and i thought okay it's a pretty straightforward ending I watched it again recently uh, about 3 months ago and I remember texting our group about this. I again I'm sorry to interrupt. So this is a yes. 97 movie, right? 1997. How do you make an online stalker seem threatening in the age of dial up? Like he's going to send you the message. <laughs> you will get online get the message you're supposed to be terrified. Uh, okay. I, like with, like, you, <laughs> you still, still managed to do it. it like knowing all of the uh, what do you call all of the internet's um, limitations at the time it is a terrifying film and towards the like i said towards the end of the film i was confused as whether the, whether the the issue was finally resolved because what what's happened what happens is meema starts seeing a the pop star version of herself everywhere like she as she starts to like the lines between fiction and reality start to blur she starts seeing a version of herself that keeps asking her to go back to uh to the pop star life i think she she's part of a three piece girl band called cham and she refuses because she's like trying to fight it away and and she feels like that presence becoming more sinister and more sinister and towards the end of the film you're still questioning who the real meema is and it's it is a it is a mindfuck of epic proportions if you haven't seen it i highly recommend you check it out because like i said it's uh, darren nardowski pulls directly for, from it for for a queen for a dream the bathtub uh, sequence uh swan lake uh swan lake what am i saying black swan is also um yeah. uh, pulls directly a, a lot of influence from it given how uh, natalie portman's character's world between like worlds of reality and fiction start to blur it blur together as well a very influential really nice film if you haven't checked it out i highly recommend that you do such a good movie i will although the the 
the people or the works that you have said are influenced by this uh, give me pause because uh, it's been a while since i watched i mean hmm. veil the veil apart uh, it's been a while since i watched uh, darren aronofsky esk cinema uh, because it's just it takes a oh, toll on you it's going to take a toll <laughs> on you by the end of it because you're just questioning <laughs> they, they do a little switch up at the end i don't want to reveal it uh, and you you won't notice it mm-hmm. unless you actually search for it uh, you just think it's a normal thing they do a switch up at the end which i hadn't noticed for 15 years or rather like what 10 to 10 12 years and i noticed it 3 days ago so every time i watch the film every time i like look it up i find something new sometimes uh, i'm like is was this whole thing just like what was the tv show what was reality because there's a tv show that's running in the in the movie and it's mm. just it, the lines like i mentioned that right, the, the blurring of the lines is is a huge part of the film and it's done so well uh, definitely go check it out awesome awesome okay so my third movie and the last movie for the episode uh, i want to talk about 2014's uh, dan gilroy directorial debut uh, the not the nightcrawler mm. just nightcrawler the nightcrawler was the the weird mm. character from x men but <laughs> This is just called Nightcrawler, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, Rene Russo, Riz Ahmed, and mm. Bill Paxton, uh, and a bunch of other people. So Jake Gyllenhaal plays uh, Louis Bloom, or he's called Lou throughout the movie. Uh, who at the start of the movie is this down on his luck guy, and you don't really know what he does for a living. In fact, the very first scene of the movie is him knocking a security guard out and. Uh, stealing a bunch of uh, fencing wire i feel or copper wire mm-hmm. some sort of metal i i recall and he then goes to another construction site and sell tries to sell that metal off to the construction guy and uh, he, right off the bat in in that first interaction that he has with another character in the movie there are certain things you find out about him a he is a compulsive liar because he makes up a whole other story about where he got mm-hmm. this wire from and whatever he he tries to give that whole uh, theft of his a back story and says this is some special wire that was used in so and so place and therefore i am you know this is a bargain for you mm-hmm. to buy it or something so a is a compulsive liar two uh, he fancies himself as a sort of entrepreneur real self starter you know all of those linkedin labels that people use uh, you know hustler trying to get stuff done mm-hmm. sort of guy and uh, he tries to bring that sort of for professional air of for professionalism to the way he talks uh, he wants to sound very uh, learned articulated uh, and that's the sort of mannerism he try he tries to mm-hmm. put across but again the third point that immediately hits you uh, in his first interaction itself is that there is something very yeah. unnerving about him there's a complete lack of sincerity uh, in his mannerism in no his empathy behavior. as well and right up, no empathy there is absolutely mm. no empathy in in his in his eyes in his in his visage in fact i i recall the uh, the fact that uh, jake dilnohan had said throughout the shoot he tried to blink as mm. little as possible because he felt uh, that really added to the whole sense of the character not having any empathy and that really plays across because i think uh he also lost a bunch mm-hmm. of weight for the movie so in the movie he's really thin he has a very gaunt face so his eyes pop out a lot more and so he just throughout the movie he's like staring at you in this piercing gaze looking into either the camera or the other character's eyes and talking 
you know in this even monotonous mm. voice which is extremely mm. creepy so like i i don't know whether he is a sociopath or a psychopath i don't know where exactly he falls on that but uh, he's he's definitely not a person you can you know he's not a good guy in the sense that you know uh, he doesn't have empathy he doesn't you know he's not going to help anyone if there is nothing to gain yeah. in it for him so he's that sort of person and the other thing i think through the course of the movie, uh before we before we before i get into you know breaking down the theme let me quickly finish the recap that i was doing so he does this and uh, you can see these things don't work out for him then he realizes uh while he's going somewhere else he sees these uh, uh people who chase uh, mm-hmm. traffic accidents and they shoot uh, the outcome of accidents and sell that footage mm-hmm. to news channels and he sees this crew at work he's like hey this this seems interesting and you know it's maybe something i can try my hand at so he steals a bike of the beach somebody's cycle sells that off to another pawn shop i think even there he makes up a story yeah. about the bike saying uh some famous bmx guy uh, owned this bike and blah 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 tries to make money off of that and buys a video camera and then he starts getting into the game he just finds a a police uh, radio record or whatever something to tap into the police frequency a person radio and just starts following wherever accidents happen starts selling uh, has recording footage and selling it to uh, rene russo's character who is a uh, i wouldn't say a network mm. executive but she basically is the person in charge of procurement of this footage for uh, to mm. run it on the news channel and riz ahmed is uh, his assistant who joins him at, at around midway of the movie and uh, basically there's this whole dynamic between them uh, i won't get into spoilery territory too much but something happens to riz ahmed and uh, like i mentioned you know there's even in that situation lu lu do bloom's character does what is most beneficial to him not what the right thing is uh, that's that's all i'll say about that but uh, so that's rizamit's character and bill paxton obviously plays a rival uh, record oh, what do you call it yeah ambulance um, they they're called stringers 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 is the, is the technically correct term you're right so uh, bill paxton is a rival stringer and i think he has the iconic line if it if it bleeds mm. it leads uh, and uh, and that i really that's a line that stays with you from the movie but anyway that's so again it, it's less of a story it's more of a character study and uh, again coming back to the character of lu bloom i firstly this is i mean without a doubt jake dylan's yeah. best performance and to me this movie or maybe because it impacted me so much uh, upon my first viewing i feel his performance is for me one of the top 10 performances of all time if i had to rate my top 10 it would be that purely because the feeling that he's able to convey so convincingly is that you take any character in 9 out of 10 movies if it's a good guy or even a bad guy to them they are driven by the belief that what they are doing is right and that drive comes from a, a place mm-hmm. of emotion right say even if i'm whatever if i'm fucking mogambo in mr india i have a i believe okay i want to take over the world because the way things are working today is yeah. not good and mogambo feels his whatever authoritarian rule is is the better alternative it comes from belief which is a very emotional thing you know but in the case of lu bloom's character all of his decisions are so 
objective and calculated and hey this makes business sense or this is the best way to do something which is why i'm doing it now whether that is morally correct or not whether it is something a regular human being would do does not cross his mind hmm. for a second he's not driven by beliefs he's not driven by um he's not yeah. driven by emotions he loop loop is essentially a, a, a business you know a start uh, you know you, you have these business yeah. self help books in fact he's shown to read a lot of hmm. them at the start of the movie as well loop loop is essentially a business self help book <laughs> a sentient business self help book in the worst in possible, the worst possible way like and that to me makes the character super it's the it's it's the descent i i, I watched this film in in theater when it came out and i remember walking out just being very unnerved by it i think there's only one point in the film where he, he really shows his emotion in in the middle where he's like screaming at the mirror usually he's just like this calm person that but you can't trust like he yes. he manipulates his way into getting things he wants uh every time he like get delivers on something he lo- only looks to up the stakes um on his next on his next project he's extremely cutthroat when it comes to um the things that he that he does he's always trying to one up himself and uh, nothing and nobody can stand in his way and if he, if they do stand in his way he'll find ways to make sure that they have um that they're out of the picture and it just keeps getting worse and at some point you think okay like things are going to come to a, a head and, and you know things and this is going to unravel but the movie goes in a very different direction and you're just like oh okay which makes it all the more horrifying because it's uh, much like um uh, much like children of men it's it's a it's a take on 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 reality on 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 people who just have the ability to to do some extremely heinous acts without it attend garnering any sort of attention or or them being easily very easily be able to 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 step side it and that's what really makes the film is the fact that like when he begins as this guy who who doesn't know what to do chances upon this accident and then decides okay this is it this is what yeah. I'm, i'm going to end up doing and 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 the descent into uh, into his own personal uh, circle of madness is is very intriguing to watch it's a phenomenal movie i don't know if you haven't seen it please go watch it it is a it is an experience it's a very uncomfortable experience outstanding but it's a very memorable and a yeah. wonderfully done experience actually uh, just taking on on the point that you mentioned right where he shows emotion in the mirror there's one other uh, scene when i recall he shows an emotion of some sort which is where he interviews rizamin's yeah. character and uh, rizamid asks for uh, i think he asks for uh, 30 dollars an hour or something and uh, as as his pay and uh, lu bloom accepts and 2 uh, minutes later rizamid is like um, yeah, i should have asked for uh, no yeah i should have asked for 70 shouldn't i have uh, lu bloom says yes you should have asked for 70 dollars an hour rizamid said oh can we can you give me 50 dollars now then since you are okay to give me 70 Lubloom has this smile on his face he's like no i'm not <laughs> going to do that you should have taken the opportunity to you know he the one time where emotion breaks mm. through his visage is when he has successfully yeah. won up somebody when he has successfully not conned when he has won over one mm. a, mm. a battle with somebody that again even that breakthrough of emotion is so telling in the fact that this man only lives for objective absolutes uh the other scene which again drives this message very starkly across is 
there's this very uh, unnerving scene where he uh, goes to the goes to a home invasion uh, site where three people have been killed in hmm. a in a house and he in fact has reached the place before uh, hmm. the police has and he starts taking this footage and you they show this they don't show the face thankfully but people who have died and are on the floor and he's taking yeah. uh, he's shooting them and uh, there is a scene where basically he says oh this does not work better for my framing he yeah. moves the body and he moves the fridge magnets just so it makes for a better shot i'm like dude it's a what a scene you psychopath why are you worried about framing but for him mm-hmm. his objective yeah. mind is like hey i'm here to yeah. get the best shot if getting the best shot means i have to move the body so be it man this guy has no soul that you know that really drives yeah. the point home and in the sense like you mentioned the end of the movie again it's a bit of a spoiler alert but again it's not like a suspense but after all of the the bullshit that he's done uh at the end of the movie all of the actions for him have sort of paid off and he has a fleet of cars a bunch of substringers mm. who are working for him and in that sense i feel the movie is a perversion of yeah. the american dream right because the american dream says oh you work hard mm. hustle have show grit and uh, you will succeed he does do all of those things in the movie but the worst possible versions yeah. of them he hustles he shows grit he shows uh, presence of mind intelligence yeah. in the worst possible ways and it pays it's not off that kind of a hustle this character has a yeah. happy ending yeah this character has a happy ending which uh, brilliant subversion i would say and uh, a great commentary on what i mean air quotes american dream of the american dream is so yeah, again a movie that has layers uh, jake gyllenhaal was not uh, nominated yeah. for the oscars which is definitive proof that there are a bunch <laughs> of idiots in the academy they wouldn't know a good acting performance if it hit them in the face but uh, it did not garner a few other nominations so yes critically acclaimed and uh, successful mm-hmm. so it, and uh, as well but still qualifies for a cult following because i still feel more people don't talk about enough people don't talk about this movie it is uh, one of the again for me in the last decade this is one of top 10 movies for me purely because of the study of the character yeah. of lu bloom what a fascinating definitely movie. like i mean like like i said before go watch it like you you have to check it out it's spend yeah, with, yeah you really you have, have to. to spend some time spend an afternoon spend an evening when you got nothing to do watch it uh, and you you you'll thank us later trust us okay yeah. uh, is that the end i think that's the end anything else to add yes yes that is it okay that is the end of cult classics uh, let us know i'll leave a little like poll section where you can tell us what your favorite cult classics are uh, or like a, like a qa um, widget or sort of sorts let us know uh, what you um, what your favorite cult classics are i actually have one more point sure. to make here uh, i just got reminded of it not not to do with the topic of the episode but recently abhin and i had met we'd gone to a friend's house where there were uh, a lot of uh, women and uh, some of them had heard our podcast some hadn't they were asking us about it uh, a strong feedback that we got was uh, despite our best intentions and efforts our our content is is uh, severely lacking mm-hmm. in the female gaze so that's something we really want to correct uh, so we, we are asking around uh, within our friend group if 
if there are uh, women who would want to come on to the podcast be a guest just you know give it an additional flavor or dimension to this but if any of you out there consider yourself to be cinephiles and you feel you can help us rectify this issue uh we should i think next episode onwards we'll start sharing our yeah, socials as please. well so just hit us up or, and, or just uh, hit us up on the instagram page like we'd love we're, to we're at two please pod on instagram just hit us up and if you have anything any topic that you would like for us to talk about we're more than happy to um uh, to discuss it so if you're listening to this and because clearly it's not working on my socials by asking different people if you're listening to this uh <laughs> please um please do um send us send us a message uh, if you know us personally call us we're more we'll be we're more than happy to, to talk to you and uh, we'll take it from there and yeah. let's let's do an episode together well, i'm i would love to have the opportunity to do so So yeah I think that's that is what I wanted to say Ann. that's yeah, it that's from it me from me too uh if you like the episode please do um a little housekeeping if you like the episode please give it a rating please give the podcast a rating uh follow us on Instagram at @twopleasepod because that kind of stuff really helps us more eyeballs so we get to do better episodes we want to take this to video right now there are little excerpts on the podcast that are coming on to video um but you know obviously given given that they're very small and have a very small community of followers we we'd like to like give them better content as well and give you better content as well if you if you like what you're listening to so uh please do help us out in any way you possibly can and uh, that's us we'll see you next week for another sequel episode i don't quite know which one it is but it there will <laughs> be an episode nonetheless uh take care and uh, we'll see you soon so they opened their big mouths and now came talk talk talk